A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in today's episode? I interviewed Darshna Thacker, Architecture Director at BCG Platinian. Some key takeaways or thoughts from Darshna's point of view. Number one, data can be the enabler to achieving your business goals, but only if you actually tie your data work to your business strategy and goals. Number two, Speaking data jargon when talking to the business stakeholders makes it hard to actually communicate. Focus on speaking to business outcomes and business value. Number three, when selecting your first use case or use cases for data mesh, evaluate domains on four basic metrics, business value, capabilities, eagerness, and feasibility. There isn't a golden formula, but it's likely some domains and use cases will rise to the top pretty quickly. Number four, look to, as best as you can, quantify the incremental business value from something like data mesh. That can be at the micro level, you know, the single use case, or the the macro level of data mesh as a whole. But getting specific instead of, you know, quote unquote, let's be data driven or whatever, will lead to better buy-in and partnering with the business side. Number five, you need to prepare to evolve your architecture to do something like data mesh. You can't have things set in stone, but you also can't just throw things against the wall and see what sticks. You need a balance between overly rigid and overly flexible. Number six, if your centralized data function isn't a bottleneck, it isn't the cause of your data challenges, Data mesh probably isn't right for your organization, or at least it doesn't directly address your challenges. So maybe wait a while on that. 
Time between identifying useful data and making it reliably available is a good place to look to measure if the centralized team is your bottleneck. Number seven, a good buy-in driving question for data mesh, or any data initiative really, is what's the cost of doing nothing? You know, will you miss opportunities, lose market share? How much are you already paying on your existing tech debt? If we don't move, what is the cost to our future business prospects? Number eight, when looking at buy-in, you need to drive from the top down so you can actually make necessary large-scale org-wide changes and bottom-up so you're working well with the people doing the actual implementations when talking about data mesh. Number nine, data mesh feels a lot like the agile movement in that people expect it to be a silver bullet instead of a framework for thinking and rethinking about how you approach your work. Number 10, as also recommended by previous guests, look to a vertical thin slice for your data mesh minimum viable project, product, whatever you want to call that, your MVP. Make sure you include all necessary high-level capabilities. Think the four data mesh principles, but don't boil the ocean. Pick a manageable use case and a manageable size of your slice. Number 11, keep technologists from focusing on this tech instead of the outcome. Why would you we use this and what is the business value? And what is the cost to launch and then maintain it? Is it actually worth it? Finally, number 12, if you are prioritizing your technology backlog, it's like, quote unquote, serving food to your customers that they didn't order. You are putting together technology solutions that aren't what people want, that your your customers actually want for the data platform. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very excited for today's episode. I've got Darshna Thacker here, who's the architecture director at BCG Plantinian. And so we're going to be covering a lot of different uh, topics today. You know, a lot about how so many people are trying to treat data mesh as a technology problem. I even posted about this on LinkedIn recently, about how people just keep, even the, especially the people that are trying to detract from data mesh are saying, well, it's a technology first. No, it's not. Like, how can we, how can we actually get out of that mindset? What's in it for the C-suite when actually doing data mesh? Like, how do we actually talk about talking to them and how do we get them bought in and what does it derive for each of the different kind of roles within that C-suite, when not to do data mesh. You know, I've been trying to ask a lot of people about <laughs> what are some factors that you should say when you should do data mesh and when you shouldn't. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the right size for a data product and how it, we're kind of still in that mode of figuring that out. And then uh, some advice on how to get started and, and how to actually move forward and think about a lot of these things. So covering a whole lot of different things. But before we jump into that, uh, Darshna, if you, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of background on yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. 
Thanks, Scott. Um, as you mentioned, I'm an architecture director at BCG Platinian. Um, in my day job, what I really do is um, help clients solve business problems uh, with the technology lens. So it could be anything starting with thinking about their data strategy to actually getting my hands dirty and building an MVP of a data product to actually thinking long term three to five year, um, you know, technology strategy and where they should be uh, looking to go into that new horizon. So it's, it's a light, it's a, huge uh, range of pr uh, problems that we help them solve. But at heart, I'm a technologist. So I have around 16 years of experience more in uh, engineering and software development um, in various using various technologies. So that's where I come from. So I, I think that actually transitions super well into the uh, thing about how do we actually stop treating data challenges as a technology problem. I mean, a lot of the people listening, even um, somewhat myself, were technologists because technology is cool, technology. And also when you think about data mesh, technology is the tangible part, right? And and it is the part where somebody can say, oh, but if I, if I copy paste from somebody else, it might work for me. Still probably not the case, but <laughs> um, how do we get people out of that mindset how do we have that that conversation and kind of without trying to you know really grab and yank somebody out and say like no it's not about technology versus how do we have it in a um constructive way where where you can actually make it a conversation instead of kind of a lecture at them cool so i think you know i think taking a step back right why are we interested in data i know we all talk about being more data driven and using data as a uh, as a uh, asset etc but what do we really mean when we say that right so there could be two answers to that the first one is um i want to have the cleanest data i want to have the best cutting edge uh, data architecture uh, that I need. And hence, I think that's what I want to do. The second one is actually serving our customers better, having more innovative product that you can launch in the market, actually using data smartly and using it as a differentiator for yourself from your competitors. Now, if you think the latter is the one that's actually going to solve your business problems, that's what's going to make the money, right? And hence, I think thinking about data as the the enabler to actually enabler to solving your business problems is the right way of it, right? So if that's the answer you're looking at, technology is just going to be an enabler. So having good data, having cutting edge technology enables you to meet your business goals. But just having the cleanest data is really going to not do much, right? It's just going to be sitting in a data data lake, data lake house wherever it has to sit, but it's really not going to give you much. So I think the right way of thinking is the so what, right? Like, what are we moving towards? Um, I think I've seen a lot, right? Like technology is prioritizing their backlog, right? It's basically like serving, uh, someone walks into your restaurant and serving them food they've not even asked for. So when technology is actually prioritizing their backlog, it's like you're giving features to business that they don't even potentially need. So I think it's thinking about how does data enable you to be more profitable, be a market leader, have a differentiating factor? I think it's the way to think about it. And hence, you know, it's just it's just technology is going to help you do that, but really not get you much. Yeah, I, I think that that kind of constant focus on the so what. And, and it's it's funny how often that gets kind of 
said as if it's like a differentiating thing when, when it's like just constantly coming back to the, this and it, it, it feels like it should be by now that that is default, but it still isn't. And it's just kind of amazing in, in data and, and somewhat on the software side, but especially in data that the technology will solve all of all of the things, maybe the architecture, but mostly the technology. I mean, and I think, you know, as technologists, we don't, we don't help our cause, right? Like we are the ones who use all the jargon that's possible, right? Like the data meshes and the data fabrics of the world. I think um, we make it more complex, uh, I think, for our business partners to actually understand what we're trying to do, right? Um, along with that, also like software vendors, right? Like this, you must have seen this, Scott, like there's so much marketing out there where like software vendors are actually saying this tool or that technology stack is actually going to be data mesh and it's going to solve all the problem. When we both know it's not going to be the case, right? Because data mesh is so much more than just the technology. It's the whole org model, the whole organization setup, the um, the governance element, upskilling your current talent to actually think differently in the domain mindset. Um, all that does not come with technology, right? So I, I think it's it's a lot of uh, players who actually have caused this current uh, myth, as I may say, uh, for technology being the silver bullet for it. But it's also interesting from the way I, I interact with a lot of people in the community. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to throw anybody out there in the audience under the bus, but I'll still probably do that here, is that so much of the information that they're expecting is a, how exactly do I do this? Like lay this out exactly for me instead of here are the questions you have to answer. And people are looking for answers, not more questions. And they're looking for, I want you to answer this for me without it being specific to my situation. And so the, you know, it depends answer really frustrates them and things like that. But exactly what you're talking about. So how, when you are dealing with technologists that want to only focus on the technology, how have you found that works to get them to kind of without, you know, pulling them up short and, you know, kind of doing it in, in a uh, abrupt fashion? How do you transition them into that, like, actual conversation from a, a useful perspective? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a difficult one to crack, right? I think because it's it's asking the level of why right you know why are we doing this what a couple of levels of whys I think then people actually understand the motivation of doing something so if I'm a technologist right I'm like I said I'm uh, if I'm a software developer at heart I see something really cool that comes out in the market and I want to use it I want to use the best next tool or the best next technology that comes into the market but then if I'm asked why am I using it Right. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to this is going to help me make my uh, data. I'm going to understand my data lineage better. OK, but why? Right. So that I can understand where my data is coming from. But why? Right. I think it's just it's just understanding. And I think this is where communication is so important. Right. Like articulating what problem are we solving? What are the what is the data capability we are building going to solve? at all levels in the organization. So starting with your data engineers, your business analysts, your data architects, all the level to your business leaders, when they all speak the same language, I think that's when you actually have bridged that gap, right? And this is having that common vocab, as we call it, across all like business and technology users that actually enables breaking this myth, right? So that your technologists are not going and building the new shinest tool that they want to build, which does not really solve a business problem, 
versus your business leader saying, I don't know what you're building and you're just throwing jargon at me, right? So those two extremes need to come together. And I think just making sure that we do a better job at all levels being better at communicating. I think that um, that business leaders aspect as well, I've, you know, a lot of people have said, uh, or I've, I've said on a lot of episodes about my unicorn farts theory, which is that whenever you're talking about data mesh, um, without outside of the data team, like data mesh within the data team, it's it's not a buzzword for the data team because it is a framework that they can get their arms around that they can dig into. So it makes sense when you're talking to data people. But when you're not talking to data people, replace data mesh with unicorn farts. And people are like, well, but why would I say that? That would make me look silly. And it's like, yes, so does saying data mesh. It doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't have the impact. And then they go, okay, we're doing data mesh. Data mesh is core to us. What does data mesh mean? And then you jump into this, like with, uh, you know, the chief marketing officer and you're you're going to go into the four pillars and like how they all interplay. No, like that, that's not what, what matters to them. So let's, let's kind of transition. You, you kind of led into the, the next uh, topic that we'd planned very, very well. So I don't know if you made, meant exactly to do that, but like, I would like to say yes, but I think it was just organic. <laughs> uh, so like, let's talk about what is, what we're trying to do with data mesh and what's in it for the, the C-suite and how do we actually talk with them? So uh, wh- why don't we talk about a couple of different roles and figure out um, kind of, what data mesh might mean for them. And and sometimes it might be that it's a little bit harder to sell maybe to the CFO than it is to the CMO. The CMO would love better, cleaner data that they can use from across the different domains. But, you know, uh, or, but like, is it really the thing for the the people that aren't directly as constantly leveraging data? Yeah. So I think let's start with the roles that are closest to it, right? Like the CTO, CDOs, right? They're the ones that are most invested in this process because they are the ones who feel the pain when the data is not clean or the data is not timely or they have talent challenges uh, within their teams to actually execute their vision. So they are the ones who are the biggest advocates in this journey, right? And they, even when we work with clients, we see that they are the ones who are your thought partners to actually think how do we democratize data or have a strong governance around it. But then when, but generally the investment, right, for uh, any program, a data product build or data management uh, capability build comes from the business side. So this is where it's a VP of an LOB, or it's like the CFO, as you mentioned, who's actually asked for investment. Now, they're not keen to know whether you're doing data mesh or data fabric, right? They personally don't care about it. What do they care about is what is the problem we are solving and what value is getting generated out of it? So for example, of course, we've spoken a lot about the business outcomes. So revenue increase, cost optimization, all that is great. But then other things like agility in business, right? So how are we, how is this going to enable launching products or launching product enhancements in, in weeks rather than months, right? So this is a value add for them. Um, how, how will this help address risk concerns? How is it making, uh, you know, security better? How does this help them think about talent, right? Because talent retention is one of the biggest challenges that businesses in technology are facing right now. And with, with evolving, um, you know, processes like data mesh is thinking about how do you get the most niche 
data skill sets within the organization and you retain them for larger duration. So how is this going to enable them solve that talent problem? I think I think thinking about it from that holistic point of view and again, dropping the jargon out of it all is actually been one of the key things that help put our message forth to these not so technical uh, C-suite stakeholders that we work with, right? Um, and I think obviously lastly is proving value continuously and taking them on their journey, right? Like keeping their interest going in it. So actually quantifying the value that this build of data capabilities using data mesh or any other capabilities, how does that prove continuous value is I think another thing, right? And then that's where the whole MVP mindset comes in also. Yeah, I think um, one thing that, that a couple of guests have, have pointed to is uh continuous incremental value delivery, which is, yeah. is a mouthful to say, but it's, it's, it's a very simple concept of that you are constantly adding incremental value that you are iterating towards more value. And then it also kind of gives people a little bit of permission to try some things and to not get it perfect from day one, which I think has been a big blocker in a lot of data initiatives is the cost of change has been so, so high. And we've had uh, a couple of people who have been like trying to quantify a little bit more of, of like what cloud has actually brought us, you know, somewhat the managed service, but also just like the ability to um, very, very fast iterate on, on things and try things out that the cost of, of attempting something and it failing is yeah. so much less. And the, and the cost of, getting something out there and then iterating to make it better, that iteration cost as well. It doesn't have the same cycle times. It doesn't have that. So it, it is, it is very um, helpful to, to think about that. Like when you are talking about, let, let's say, let's do a little bit of scenario analysis or however you want to think about talking about that. But when you're talking to a line of business head and you're talking about data mesh, especially if they're the initial that, you know, like somebody who's the fifth line of business and they're like, oh, you've already got everything built out. Like, how, you know, yes, okay, my incremental cost versus the incremental potential value. One would be, how do you really quantify that that value? Is, is it in the hypothetical of, well, if you had this, what would it mean for you? And then they're the ones who pitch you on the own value of it. Or, and then like, how are you kind of taking them along to get them from, you know, being the uh, person that you're trying to convince to them being the person that's trying to convince others or trying to convince you that they want to do this and that they should be allowed and enabled to do this? No, I think, um, so I think that two lenses to this, right? So the first lens is what you just mentioned, right? So what's the value of doing this? So if you invest, I think, of course, that's the upfront investment, this is what you need to do. and uh, your your organic growth would have been X, but by doing this, your organic growth is going to be X plus 50%, for example, right? So that's a very um, a factual uh, or a very, um, you know, projection of what the value that your data uh, would then enable you to unlock in the market. May that be in new products or getting a competitive edge with your, uh, with your competitors. But I think the second lens is also very interesting, right? It's like the cost of doing nothing. If you don't do this, then what are you losing out on? I think that's a lens that 
many people really don't think about and i think that's where with the tech, with the market and the industry moving so fast it's not an option of not doing anything right and i think that's losing your edge i think it's even an eye opener when you're having conversations like this right and that's basically again something that you can quantify right the cost of nothing has really been a, a parameter to help have those open and honest conversations that if you don't invest in data right now if you don't uh, move from your centralized data platform to a more decentralized you know federated model what's going to be lost uh, what what can you be losing um if you don't upskill your talent right now if you don't have ag- agility in your delivery what are you going to lose out on so i think even having that view uh, has really helped drive those conversations so i mean i'm i'm i come from a uh much more numbers numbers like solid actual like financial numbers. I was, uh, you know, I managed AWS costs for uh, a public company. And so I did like all of the accounting work for actually like which uh, buckets everything fell into in the actual income statement. So when we talk about what is the value and it is projections and it is, here's, here's your upfront cost, here's your ongoing cost. Like how do you think about that? Like when you're talking with somebody who's a line of business head, I get that they they can get that um, art of the possible. But when you're talking with the CFO, like they want actual dollar figures. So like yeah. what what does agility bring to us? I don't know. I don't I don't care. That's not something that's going to be into my projections that agility means that we are able to do X that doesn't actually flow through to my income statement. So like when you're having that conversation, is, is it about bringing them in and, and, and connecting them to that line of business head or something like that, where it goes, they're going to tell you what this actually brings them instead of, um, instead of the, the kind of technologist or the data person being like, we can be much more scalable and agile with data. And okay. But again, why, why does that matter? Like how, how have you yeah. found getting somebody over that hump, uh, especially those, those kind of naysayers that are holding the purse strings that don't want to just uh, go, that don't want to believe, right? That where you've got to, you've got to convince them. So I think a couple of lenses that we've used for this in the first, right? So the one is that, um, uh, again, quantifying stuff, quantifying it from the lens of technical debt or legacy stack, right? So your cost of running and quantifying that. So if you are spending X million on it right now, it's only going to deteriorate and like, you know, it's going to be X plus this, it's going to be more legacy, you're adding up legacy, you're not uh, modernizing it. So that's your cost of running. So that's your basically a cost on uh, your uh, and a dollar value that you put on maintenance on technical debt and etc. I mean, that technical debt could also be like, we introduced technical debt, like two years old, code is now called technical debt, right? Like, so it's all legacy and with the way market is moving. So the second lens, of of course, is also thinking about um, losing market share, right? So I think it's like, if you're losing, um, if you're, you know, if you're having X percent market share right now, uh, by not doing anything, you're going to use that market share as revenue lost. Again, coming to, uh, when we talk about the project, uh, the agility when it comes to project, uh, sorry, product delivery, that also is, lost opportunity right so if you're launching something in six months versus two weeks three weeks you are obviously losing revenue or gaining revenue in either ways right so i think there are ways to quantify and put a dollar amount next to everything uh, that we do and again you're right when you're talking to the cfos that's how we quantify things but i think it's also 
having a balance, right? Because all these are projections. So it's also bringing in the um, dollar uh, and the quantifiable, but also the other elements that we spoke about. So it's a balance of both. Uh, and again, like we have when, we ha when we're having these conversations, it's obviously having, like I said, the CTO, CDO, who are the advocates who also help you uh, in this conversation with those other stakeholders. And how much do you think of driving buy-in should be top-down versus kind of the grassroots when you're thinking about something like data mesh, where you do have to get buy-in from each domain that you're working with there, you know, some people have talked about, oh, you just get all of the, the C-suites to just drive everything or to, to change all the KPIs, or you just kind of throw on additional responsibilities or like, there's a lot of different ways that people are trying to approach it. But one that I see constantly is people on the technology side, trying to, to kind of skunk works it. And almost get the drive the buy in at the person to person level instead of at the yeah. higher level. But you know, you're talking about if you don't have that buy in from the the other people in the C suite, can you really make all that much progress? So, like, how how are you seeing people actually getting that to move forward, or what what anti patterns have you seen? What have you seen where where people shouldn't do it? I think that's good because I think you're right. Uh, I think it's bottom. Uh, it's both right, top down and bottom up. So the top down is actually empowering you to make the, the changes that you need, right? Like thinking uh, from the domain point of view and say thinking in products, right? At the, not, not all companies are thinking in that sense. So actually needing to make that organizational change, investment in trainings and hiring different profiles, um, actually having roles like data product owner, which did not exist in the uh, legacy uh, or the traditional roles. So you need you need the buy-in or you need that top-down focus to enable all of that. But I think the bottom-up is also important, right? So then people actually, you need the bottom-up for people to actually um, have the right skill sets, have the right mindset to actually deliver it. So it is both of those ways working. Now, what I've seen people doing wrong is what you, what you just mentioned, right? It's basically, again, doing it in pockets rather than actually thinking of it as a holistic problem. So we understand that it has to be MVP driven and it has to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, fail fast, etc. But you still need to take a holistic view of what are you trying to solve as a problem? Because for data mesh, right, you, you, I mean, we were going to touch upon this in the last section as well. Like you need a view of what are the key domains you are touching upon. So for that, you need buy-in from all your domains. You can't really do anything in isolation. So doing a one-to-one -one map, I think, works to get started on the journey, but through the process of actually implementation, you would have many more problems in implementation. So you wouldn't have a, you know, having that centralized platform team, uh, the contracts that need to be agreed, how you're actually going to do the federated government, uh, actually things like that don't really work well. Yeah, I, I, I'm always a little confused as to where people are saying, oh, we're going to give full autonomy to all the domains to build their own technology stack and do all that stuff. And it's just, it's just crazy to me where, where people are, are saying that they're uh, going to be sharing all of that responsibility with everyone out there. It's, it's just, yeah. Um, so uh, one thing that we were, I mean, if, if there's any other aspect of this that you want to cover, let, let's jump into that. But I also wanted to kind of start to head into one big question that I've tried to get a lot of people to give me a, a concrete answer on. And it's, it's tough because it really is, it depends, but like 
what what are the signals that somebody shouldn't do data mesh? I know there are a lot of people that are trying to convince me that they should be allowed into the data mesh party. And it's like, if you want to go down this road, fine. There's an episode coming out relatively soon um, with a startup that's like a 250 person startup. And they really struggled because data mesh wasn't really designed for that. And there wasn't a lot of roadmap on how to do it. They got to a good place on their general distributed data side, but um, they struggled a whole, whole lot. And and data mesh probably wasn't designed really for them to, to do that. So one, what what are the, the signals or what are the things that make you think they, they should or shouldn't? And then two, how do you actually convince people <laughs> that they shouldn't do it, that the pain isn't worth it? I think you're right. I think it's like Agile, you know, when Agile came on and everyone just thought Agile is going to be that silver bullet that's going to solve all the delivery problems. And if you use Jira, it's like you are Agile. Uh, basically, I think it's a little bit like that now. Um, of course, I think data mesh is the, is the next cool thing and everyone wants to drop that word in every data conversation that you're having with them. But you're right. I think it's more important to know when not to use it than when to use it, right? Um, so now, like, the, the, one of the examples, obviously, that comes to mind is exactly what you just said about the startup, right? Like, there's two school of thoughts. So the smaller organizations who, uh, you know, who can actually work with uh, a centralized platform team or can use a se- separate decentralized solution do not really need the overhead of setting up the whole domain teams and the governance and the maintenance that comes along with it, right? So they may be actually um, not the right candidate to use data mesh. But the other school of thought is perhaps, like you said, the startup was thinking was you're smaller, you can actually do something like a data mesh. But I think what people really uh, think don't think about is the running cost rather than only the implementation cost, because that's the one that's actually a differentiating factor also, uh, you know, because then how do you actually run a thing? Because uh, that's the cost element that's really heavy. I think the second thing is um, asking the question is that, do you even have the problems that data mesh solves for you? Right. So is there is there like some is there centralized, uh, you know, a, a data team or centralized platform team? Is that even a bottleneck in your organization or are your data sources uh, limited enough or well understood that your data is you know all your data is well documented so you really don't have the bottleneck that data mesh will solve uh, and having that understanding and you know, self-assessment that you would do to actually think that I really don't have the problem that data mesh will solve for me I even I think that's another different lens to actually apply before we start yeah and, and I think let's jump into that. Like, what are the signs that the centralized team is actually your your data bottleneck? Because a lot of this is just, there's just not any data care. There's not anything. And so you, you don't, it's not that the centralized team is the bottleneck. It's that nobody really cares and that you can, you can push up some conceptual ownership around data into the domain, but they don't actually have to fully own their data. You don't have to build a fully self-serve platform. You don't have to do all that thing. Is there anything that is um, that you would say are some signs that the, cent- the centralized team is actually the bottleneck rather than just you're doing data wrong <laughs> in general? Yeah, I think I think some of the, um, uh, I think the, the red flags, as you may call it, could be that your data is how long does it take from, you know, when you actually identify that you need this data to actually the data being available for use. I think that's your like, you know, your um, 
your key milestone like if it takes weeks does it take months does it take days hours i think that's one of the key functions right like because i think the timeliness of the data is one of the key factors that affects uh, how uh, how well you could use it or how quickly you can actually monetize that data that comes out so i think that's one of the things that would actually help you understand um if the platform team is a bottleneck or not i think the second thing is also um understanding the data right so if the same data is duplicated within your systems or is actually you know people don't know what exists so your cataloging is poor and getting that data lineage out where is the data coming from who is using it how many uh, artifacts have been created or curated out of the data i think all those elements actually having that data transparency being low is another red flag that you would think that your platform team perhaps is um, not because they are not the ones who understand the data as much right so it's all uh, mainly reliant on what is their interpretation of the data so again i think of these are at least the two things that come to mind immediately um that would help you actually understand and i think the the last one i would also say is the skill sets right like so the one of the one of the problems that could be in the centralized team is that your data platform capabilities are all centralized within one team so you have a high risk of um you know uh losing talent or you would have you know hiring the right skill sets within that team and if that strength of that team reduces i think that's another red flag right your whole uh velocity of delivery also reduces yeah if 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 you kind of have that you know key person principle of oh if this one person leaves then that's a huge risk to the entire organization which i mean at a small that that's one for a larger organization you know at at a 20 person startup yes you're going to have that no matter what you can't really completely uh work around that but if it, the larger you are um but like how do we think about the cost benefit measurement right like is this cost of actually because there's a major major cost to implementing data mesh right upfront and ongoing and and as you said people often forget about doing the ongoing but there is a large cost to doing this if you're going to actually you know try and do it in the right way instead of just throw a couple of things of technology at it and pretend you're doing data mesh but um how do you think about that conversation because some people that we've had on are talking about it's 6 months between when you decide you're going to do data mesh and you get your first data product out there right a lot of others are saying that it's more in the 8 week time frame and things like that but um how do you think about that that actual conversation because it might be that yes this thing is going to uh, net us a huge amount of money but it's going to be in year 10 yeah. and so why would we do that because we're going to be spending you know tons and tons of money until we before we see any return and so like how do you measure that how do you have that conversation how do you make it that that you can get people to feel like this is a smart decision instead of it's just technologists that want to play with cooler technology um i think i might just come back to the previous point that i made was on the whole mvp driven approach right like having that thin slice across um what what's that thin slice that you can go end to end that gives value quickly right like the whole um start small scale fast um mechanism that we have that you need to have that 
incremental value, as you mentioned earlier, that you need to prove that and articulate that upfront, right? Like you can't really get onto it and spend six six months to build a best-in-class uh, self-serve infrastructure before you even have one data product that's using it, right? I think that's 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 basically building a Ferrari when you can work with a Fiat 500 right away. I think that's the mindset that we need to change. And again, that's where I think we as technology need to be reeling that we don't need to get the perfect solution out there. We need to get that MVP of this key capabilities that we think about, like um, the uh, self-serve infrastructure, like the data governance, like the domain mapping. How do we get that thin slice across those key principles and prove value upfront? And then at that point, take a decision, right? Like, is it really worth investing another eight months into it? Or is this the point where we pull the plug? And I think having that conversation factually with um, with quantitative numbers, along with the value um, and the investment that would go into that. So I think actually using that MVP approach generally helps having those conversations. Yeah, I, I think the conversations that I've had around modern data stack and why I'm so skeptical of modern data stack is because of a little bit of what you're talking about of the, okay, the ongoing, the long run, like it's about my, uh, the way a lot of people approach it is what is the right stack for this one specific use case? So I'm going to get to something that's of value as fast as possible, but it's quickly deteriorating, right? It, it, it The tech debt of ongoing and nobody is really having those hard conversations of saying, you know, the, the consumers are saying, no, you have to keep providing this because it has value. And yet the costs are ever spiraling upwards. And so then like, where do you get to the point where you just go, we can't support this anymore. And most people aren't getting to that. They're not saying that because they're not actually like they, they spent so little time thinking about getting it into production that they're not thinking about <laughs> the the continuous return and, and whether this va- this matters. And, and I think I'm struggling with the conversation around if we don't do data mesh, if we just do something like modern data stack and we just quickly, quickly get something into production, we get to value faster. And so it doesn't allow us to really iterate well in the long run. It's built in such a bad way that it does have this high continuous ongoing cost or that you've got, you know, 50 different of these sets of stacks and they don't, nothing looks the same. And, you know, somebody leaves and exactly the the one person who really understood, you know, technology XYZ is gone. So now, you know, 40% of our things are built on this and we don't know what what's you know how to deal with that so um like how how are you having those conversations with people to get them to be you know a little bit more conscious around the quickness of the return versus the long-term kind of cost benefit ratio and 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 where do you where does that fall you know it's the same thing of if we're not seeing returns until year 10 Right. Should we really be investing a bunch of money up front right now? There are certain things where that's the case, like, you know, battery startups or whatever, where they're trying to invent new technologies and stuff. Yes, they're inventing, they're putting all the money up front because that's what you need to do. But that's not what we do in data. So sorry, long, long question, but just like trying to get to that, that actually useful conversation around this, because so many of the conversations aren't useful. They're, they're either dogmatic in one way or another yeah but i think that's right so i think then that finding that balance is critical right so i think the whole mindset of that evolving architecture right like so of course you first you even have 
your you do have a view of where you want to go towards right so whole, you're not defining your target architecture you're not defining your data strategy that's the end state but you are defining the themes the direction the principles you want to go towards that actually guide your mvp discussions right so you don't you're right absolutely i can uh, while talking to you i can actually just go to azure create a data pipeline get data in create a thing like in 2 hours i'll have a data product right but i think the whole scalability element of it the maintainability element of it doesn't really help so i think having that target architecture or target principles that you want to you all have agreed on and are moving towards and then actually then slicing it is that mvp view so you at least know you're moving towards your target slow and steady while proving value through it right so it's not completely uh, wild wild west where everyone's free to do what they want but they all are abiding to that end state that we have agreed to and moving towards that so i think that's the right balance of course there will be strategic versus tactical choices that you will make on the way you will incur technical debt uh, i think and that's part and parcel of of product development but making those conscious choices and then the commitment to resolve them in the end i think is what keeps us going and i think of course um there might still be uh, uh, some compromises through the way but at least you know you're moving in the right direction yeah, i think that that exactly what you said of the conscious choice i can't remember which guest said it but they said you know so much of what we do in data is incurring mass amounts of technical debt without any idea that we're doing it right that we're were the way that we've done things historically it hasn't been a conscious decision of okay this is technical debt and and this is when we plan to clean it up or this is how we plan to clean it up and that it's also that cost of change is so much lower so it's not that we have to completely rip and replace but that also means that we have to build our platform and our things a little bit differently so that they are modular and that that we can replace things when it makes time or makes sense right that that it's time to replace it so yeah it's 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 a new way of thinking about things and most people don't want to uh have an entirely new approach to how we do data <laughs> yeah they actually they, i think it's again this two extremes of the spectrum right like either tell me everything that i need to know i need to do now that's an extreme end of the spectrum where you need like of uh, you know start, uh, to set in stone target architecture or the second one is completely like let's be agile about it and we'll see how it works right i think both of this end of the spectrums are quite dangerous and we've seen both of them uh, i think you know um, that both of them don't work but having that middle way and the pragmatic approach to delivery i think is key and that's why i think coming back to our previous point right you need buy in from all different levels in the organization across business and technology to actually make data mesh happen. Yeah, I, and I think that exact well the agility and that kind of being able to just kind of see what happens is great at the domain level but it's not at the platform level, right? Cuz that's no, not exactly self-serve, right? No. You're right. I think but I think again, right? Even in the platform self-serve element, right? Like again there are principles that you need to follow, right? Like what cloud provider are you using? right like i think the platform team makes a decision but then you need to be you build your components or you build your um services in a way that they can be portable if required so if you don't want to you know you you still need those principles and you would there would still things go wrong there would still be things that go wrong and you can't really plan future proof your platform as well but i think it's again i think similar principles right being able to 
uh, build it in that whole modular way so that if change is required, you are agile so that you can move in that other direction. Yeah, make it so that you can actually, you're not locked in, right? Exactly. So I think this this transitions well into kind of what we were planning on on talking about in in kind of the the last uh, thing of like, okay, we've talked about a lot of different things, but how can people get started, right? Like, how can they actually um, think about moving forward if they're, you know, I I talk to a lot of people who are very interested in doing data mesh, but they can't figure out how to get started in their, their company. So we can talk about how can an organization actually move forward when they've got that kind of buy-in, but also how can people drive that buy-in, you know, where, where do they have to drive it? Do they have to drive it up to the, the sea level first instead of trying to, to create this grassroots movement and do all of that? Or like, how do you think about both aspects of those? So I think from an organization point of view, to start from that first lens that you mentioned, is about, I think, again, thinking about those um, first, I think the key principle that data mesh is the domain thinking, right? So first is understand what are the key domains you're playing in and not boiling the ocean, but still thinking about the key domains you play in and how do you prioritize? Because the whole, again, the thing is you're not going to solve all the problems up front. So what are the key domains you, sh- you should or you can go after? Uh, are the first the transparency on the domains and prioritization first? Uh, then having that mindset change on product thinking, right? The whole product mindset, having the right roles, having the right um, setup to enable that. Because we, I think you're used to thinking about in applications or in uh, business units or in regional units, but we're not thinking about them as products. So having that mindset change at the organization level is key. Um, then obviously, you know, the governance element is such a big part of success of data mesh. So actually enabling and formalizing the roles which enable data governance and giving them the right tools, right? Like it can't be a side job for someone who's really busy to be a data owner. You actually need the commitment for uh, an individual to be the data owner, own the data, own the data quality and give them the tools that they can do the job, right? So I think those are the key things. And of course, lastly comes data transparency and literacy. So actually, how do you make your data uh, visible across your organization is key. So I think these are some things that you can start thinking about from an organization level point of view. But I think that comes to the individual, right? So I, I think it, it it again comes to the point of the why. why. Why does that individual, what is the motivation of using data mesh, right? And again, it's isolating the problem from the solution. So data mesh again is it's a mindset it's a it's a um, it's a cultural shift that you need to enable delivery right so it's again what elements of data mesh do you need so again in that in in that case you don't even need all the things that data mesh gives you but what are you trying to solve with that data mesh is the key uh, thinking I think at any level so if you're individually if you're leading a team or you're leading a data product I think that should be your motivation right what are the components of data mesh or, you know, principles of data mesh that actually help you solve a problem. Uh, and again, you would have to go upwards, right? I think I, I would think peer management along with upward management is important, but upward management proving that I think getting the buy-in from top is really important. It's like, again, sorry, I'm comparing it to agile again, right? But even for the success of agile, that was the first thing, right? the top management had to change the way they were thinking. They were okay to fail fast. They were okay to iterate. They were okay to be more invested uh, rather than technology doing its things. It's very similar here, right? You need that buy-in from 
um, your uh, business leaders, your senior technology leaders to actually get that culture of change. Yeah, and and you mentioned like figuring out which domains you want to start with. Um, this is a, a question that I'm going to be putting in the getting started survey and everything is like, how do you actually do that? Like, is it finding the ones that are willing? Like a lot of people, what they're struggling with is they're going to domains and saying, everybody else needs your data. You now have to give everybody your data instead of like, hey, what can we help you with to to leverage your data? And so I understand it because like certain domains have the kind of the huge amount of value trapped inside their domains and they're not, you know, sharing it appropriately or, or, you know, not necessarily of their own fault, but like, how do you figure out (laughs) that balance and how do you get to a place where you're not just going to a domain and saying, you're just going to give us all this information. You're going to give us all this value, but we're not really pushing things back to you. Yeah, I think it's so what's in it for me kind of conversation, right? Like what is it in for the domain owners or uh, the domain team? So I think I think that's uh, critical. And I think they also, I think, supporting them in the journey, right? So to do all the additional work and exposing the data, creating those data products within the data domains needs additional effort. So it's also giving them that backing or additional resources, additional support to actually enable that, I think is critical. So I think that's the first starting point, right, is actually having that conversation in actually saying that you are supported on that journey and giving them that support to get that done. Um, and I think the second part is also the, um, I think that's some some organizations that we've seen is, of course, they like having that data ownership, right, because they want to own that data. They want to make sure that the data that is exposed that they are using is the right data. So I think that's also a motivation that we've seen, that they actually think that they are the ones who are actually going to control the data quality, control the way the data is stored, et cetera. So there is motivation in that sense also. Um, So I think that's obviously having that conversation, what's in it for me? And how do you support them to enable that additional overload that you're having them to do? I think that's obviously going to convince uh, a part of it is going to convince the data uh, domain owners. Um, how do you prioritize the domains? I think is another the various parameters you can use, right? One is the business value. Uh, one is the, the one that you said eagerness to actually experiment. Then it could also be having the right skill sets. So some domains could be more mature in the journey when it comes than, than others. And then, of course, it's it's also around the um, uh, feasibility of it, right? So if you say the desirability of things, but even the feasibility, are they are they actually uh, technically feasible to do the solution? So I think the various parameters that you can actually use to prioritize your domains, but obviously having the viability, so they are more profitable, the feasibility, and the readiness to do it. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that all makes sense, and I think that's a good place to kind of. Um, kind of generally sum up the conversation. So is there anything we, we didn't talk about that uh, you wanted to cover or any way that you'd like to kind of wrap up the conversation in general? No, I think, uh, Scott, we've touched upon all the key points that we have spoken about. So all good from my side. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm sure there's going to be people that would like to follow up with you after this. Um, where is the best place? Is that LinkedIn? And, and what, what do you want people following up with you about? I think yes, LinkedIn would be the best. And I think just, I think uh, always, uh, like I said, data mesh is such a upcoming topic. Always keen to know what are personal experiences of people using it, right? Like how do they use it? What are the challenges? Uh, and uh, I think this is a conversation to see how that goes. Yeah, 
Great. Okay. So uh, again, uh, Darshna, thank you so much for taking the, the time today. And uh, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thanks, Scott, for having me. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Darshna Thacker, who's an architecture director at BCG Plantinian. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.